0: The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck.
1: It's doing for Glenn on a day where young children are being ripped from the arms of their loving parents. And you're hearing about this in the news a lot today, but it's important to know what the media is not telling you. It's important to know the scope of this situation, which is serious. It's serious. And you need to know What the media isn't telling you. Let's just go through the scope of this issue for a moment. We know this is a big deal. Intelligence estimates, this is how this whole thing started. Intelligence analysts estimated that 78% of the guides smuggling other migrants were Mexicans younger than 18 years of age. Teenagers often hired or conscripted by drug cartels that knew uh, they would not be prosecuted if caught. Young Mexicans are now being held for months without charge in shelters across the United States, sometimes without their parents' knowledge. Some of them have spent as much as six months in U.S. custody while they await an appearance before an immigration judge. During their detention, they are questioned by U.S. authorities and then transferred to a network of facilities run by the Office of Refugee Resettlement, part of the Department of Health and Human Services, across 15 states. I mean, it's not uh, it's not a minor problem here. How about uh, now? How about this? Because this, this, it's a lot bigger of a deal than than they're reporting. Actually, Immigration and Customs Enforcement last year carried out more than seventy two thousand deportations of parents who said they had U.S. born children. 72,000. You're hearing in the news. 2,000. No. 72,000 deportations of parents who said they had U.S.-born children. ICE confirmed the authenticity of two reports which laid out 72,410 removals of immigrants who said they had one or more U.S.-born children. Reports show that even parents of U.S. citizens are among the hundreds of thousands of undocumented immigrants being expelled from the U.S. each year. 2,000 2,000 separations, it's much worse than that. Children born in the U.S. are given automatic citizenship, of course, regardless of their parents' immigration status. When a parent is deported, their U.S.-born children sometimes leave with them, but some stay in the U.S. with another parent or family member. Some children end up in U.S. foster care. While most of the parents of U.S.-born children or last year had been convicted of a crime, about 10,700 had no criminal convictions. These are the stories you're not hearing right now from the media. There's one other detail you should probably know. Those stories were from 2015 and 2013. Uh, You might not have heard those stories because those stories were stories under the Obama administration. Seventy-two thousand deportations of parents who had U.S.-born children. Hundreds and hundreds of children held in facilities. I love this. This is one of the uh, one of the uh, Mexican children who crossed the border, uh, and, and this is often what happens: is they they cross the border as uh, people who are working for drug cartels because they knew they wouldn't get prosecuted. They knew nothing would happen to them. And they were being held in these shelters. Listen to this. This is in November. Oscar uh, Jaime Rodriguez Mendoza, a 16-year-old from the border town of Reynosa, left for the United States and didn't come home. We didn't know what happened to him, said his mother, a 37-year-old clothing vendor. She finally learned that he had been sent to a shelter in California. From there, he was allowed to talk to her by phone every night for 10 minutes. Oscar told his mother that the kids were grouped by risk behavior, purple, yellow, green, and that some couldn't leave the facility. Oscar, however, was a purple, he told his mom, with the least restrictions. On one occasion, he got to go ice skating. I love this quote from his mom, though. It's a type of punishment, so they won't cross as much, his mother said. For me, sincerely, it's okay. It will discourage him from doing it again. That is the point here, isn't it? That is the point. It is a deterrent. And while it gets ugly at times, uh, it is obviously something that is a messy situation on the border. These stories from 2013-2015 show that these these issues have been going on for a very long time. And this is where we are now. And I think we should kind of take this story all the way through. Because we're at the point where everybody's jumping on the bandwagon. Everybody's tweeting about these children. 2,000 children ripped from the arms of their parents. It's being repeated over and over and over and over again. The left is saying uh, it's a brand new policy. This is a new policy. Trump is doing this on his own. The right is kind of saying, well, there's nothing new. There's nothing new here. And there is a bit of truth on both sides of this. There is no evidence this is a brand new topic. We'll go through this uh, today. But in every story about this border separation issue when you bother to read to paragraph 9 to paragraph 12 to the depths that no one ever goes paragraph 14 and 15 what you see over and over again are these issues are not uh, are not new you can go you can just dig through this and find them and you'll find that these numbers like for example this is let's see let's count the paragraphs in the washington post shall we Paragraph 1, paragraph 2, paragraph 3, paragraph 4, paragraph 5, paragraph 6, paragraph 7, paragraph 8, paragraph 9, paragraph 10, paragraph 11, paragraph 12, paragraph 13, paragraph 14, paragraph 15, paragraph 16, paragraph 17, paragraph 18, paragraph 19. Ah! Here we are, paragraph 20. Now remember the story is that 2,000 kids have been separated from their children, from their parents, right? Ripped from the arms huge new problem based completely on a new policy. That's the that's the take. Here is paragraph 20 of the Washington Post story. As of Thursday, 11,432 migrant children are in the custody of the Department of Health and Human Services up from 9,000 at the beginning of May. So is this a new story? Or is this a increase on something that has been going on for a long time? Again, 11,000 in custody up from 9,000 at the beginning of May. So the idea that this is a new thing is blatantly false, okay? This is something that has existed for a long time. It is always the policy when you are prosecuting someone to separate them from their parents. If not, we'd have toddler jails all over the country, right? This This is not a wonderful idea, and we'll get to the toddler jails and what they're like in just a little bit. There is a huge uptick, however, in this. It's disingenuous, I think, for and many of the people on the right are doing this and saying that there's no change. This is an old policy. There are elements of it that have existed for a long time. There's an existing law that has been on the books for a long time. Uh, but the uptick has gone from about 100 a month, as far as family separations, to about 1,200 a month. So it's a big change. And the change uh, is is understandable when you look at the motivations of the Trump administration. What they're trying to do is incentivize... People to say, you know what is a terrible idea is crossing that border illegally. They want to let everybody know that this is not a good idea. But it's always, of course, the policy to separate a family when you're prosecuting them in a situation like this or in other situations. U.S. citizens have have this happen to them all the time. Take it to an extreme for a minute. And I'm taking the most crazy crime I can think of intentionally to make a point. Uh, Are you comparing serial killers to people crossing the border? These wonderful families who are just looking to make their lives a little better? No, I'm not. But listen, let's take a serial killer, okay? A serial killer gets caught. They have a couple of kids. Little Bobby and little Jenny don't go to prison with mommy serial killer. And yes, it was a female serial killer. That's just the Me Too environment is happening yet again on this program. It is always a policy to do that. From everything from high-level serial killer type crimes to low-level drug crimes. If you don't pay your taxes for a long enough period, guess what they're going to do? They're going to take you and separate you from your family. That is what you do. You don't put the kid in prison too. That's not what you do. You separate the family. What's new here is that the Trump administration has looked at what has happened since it began. And what has happened is, Trump talked very tough about the border in the campaign. When he became president after his election, largely on these border issues, there was a big decrease in the amount of people crossing the border. And that tough talk works for a period, right? Tough talk is something that can encourage people to not cross the border. However, tough talk doesn't last forever. And when tough talk was not backed up by policy changes and big things, The numbers have increased. They've bounced back. And this is angering Trump and the administration. They're trying to do something to disincentivize people from crossing that border illegally. So what is new is that everybody's getting prosecuted now. There's a zero tolerance policy. However, it's a law. Laws are supposed to have very easily identifiable consequences. If you have a law that no one knows how it's going to turn out when you break the law. Well, that's not that's not a good law. You're supposed to have something on the books. When you do A, B happens. That's how this is supposed to work. So now they've decided to actually prosecute this law that has been on the books. Yes, there is a change. The change is they're not ignoring this law anymore. Right? That is that is a big change. You know, there are ways to alleviate this issue when you talk about people who have... Um, Uh, separated families. There's a way there are ways to alleviate it. The chosen way to alleviate it over several past presidents has been to ignore it, to just let them go to say, we'll see at a hearing in three months that we all know they're not going to show up to. That has been the policy for many, many years. And that is changing. That's what's changing. That's what you're feeling in the media. And this is the heat they're trying to turn up. They're trying to make this into a really emotional issue uh, Republicans are supposedly going to confront him on this tonight. It's bad press. They don't like it. How much of this can he heat up? We'll see. We'll see how much a, a, of a tolerance he has for this. But this is the law. This is what you're supposed to be doing. There are different ways to do this, but usually it's not a super long period of time. You know, these cages that they're showing, are that's completely misleading. It has nothing to do with this main story. And we'll get into that later on in the program. 888 beck is the phone number if you want to get involved. But that's what we, we need to crystallize here. The, the media is talking about this is as if it's an issue with the separation of the parents. We all know everybody supports separating parents from children when they commit crimes. Right? We all know that. The serial killer. The, when you go to prison, you don't bring the kids to prison. Everyone supports this. Right? You don't want the kids to go to prison with the parent. The issue here is different. It's not about the separation of parent and child. That always happens in prosecution cases. It's about whether you think this thing we're talking about is a crime. What's happening here is the left doesn't want people crossing the border illegally to be a crime. They don't want the border to be a thing, so this thing with separations shouldn't be happening. They do want Murder to be a crime, so they have no problem with separation there. They don't believe this is a crime or as serious a crime as as we believe it is, or the Trump administration believes it is. It has nothing to do with separating the parents. It has to do with their belief that that border shouldn't be a border. And put yourself in their position for a second. If you thought the idea of crossing a border illegally was insane, well, of course you'd think the separation of parent and child was insane. But if you think it's an actual crime, like, you know, it is. Then you're going to look the other way. You're going to want to go the opposite direction. The left is against separation because they don't think crossing the border is a crime. Well, the problem with that is, is the border is there and crossing it illegally is a crime. And it's the way you deal with this, right? You have to put this in perspective. Let's say, let's take something that we all would agree was insane. Because their complaint here is that the punishment doesn't fit the crime. The crime is nothing, right? The crime is crossing this invisible line. What is the crime? It's nothing. You know, no human is illegal. You should be able to cross the line whenever you want. Well, let's just take something that we all know is nothing. Like let's say jaywalking. If we passed a law that said the penalty for jaywalking is death, the immediate death penalty, execution of all jaywalkers. That would not be a policy I would support. I would not want parents separated from children because of jaywalking. Would you not agree? If they started imprisoning parents and taking them away and putting kids in foster homes because of jaywalkers, we would also agree. Again, it's not about separation of parent and child. It's about whether you think the underlying crime is a crime. So let's say jaywalking, very minor offense. We would all believe that the death penalty would be going too far if jaywalking was the crime. But there's two things you would do in this situation. Number two of the two things is to make sure you fought really hard against the law. You would want to change that law. You would go on MSNBC every day and say, you know what? The penalty for jaywalking should not be death. This is the number two thing you should do. Number two. The number one thing you should do is not jaywalk. Number one, no jaywalking. Number two, fight the law. And you know what? The law, isn't, the law would be changed if there wasn't such a problem here. What you do when you increase the punishment for a crime is to try to disincentivize it. And that is what the administration is wanting to do. So unless you don't understand these concepts, you shouldn't be mystified by this story. I, I feel like I, this audience is the only one in America who seems to understand it. And that shouldn't be the way it is. So remember this. Step two, go on MSNBC. Complain about the crime. Step one, no jaywalking. Uh, Glenn has museum disease, and we'll be back hopefully tomorrow. He's not feeling well after a very long weekend, a very cool weekend. If you went to the museum, we'd love to hear from you today. 888-727-BECK. Also on this issue of children being ripped from the arms of parents on the border. We want to talk about that as well. Sponsor this half hour is uh, Casper. Can you imagine taking a car on a 100-day test drive? I would love that because then you can just return it. 100 days and then just keep returning it. That'd be awesome. Or getting a pair of shoes and having 100 days to walk around and feel how comfortable they are. Well, that's what Casper is doing. They're giving you a hundred nights to test the Casper mattress in your own home with their 100 night sleep challenge. A hundred nights is a long freaking time. And laying down in a mattress store for an hour is not going to do the job. Casper mattress has a unique combination of foams that provide the right pressure and relief and alignment. So you feel perfectly balanced and comfortable, it ships free right to your door. You don't have to do anything. It's nice and easy. Uh, and the best thing is they'll come pick it up for free and give you a full refund if in that 100 days you're like, yeah, you know, it's okay, but I'm not crazy about it. I'm going to go a different direction. They're cool with it. They're willing to take that, uh, take that on because they know you're going to love the bed. Take Casper's 100-night sleep challenge and you'll love your mattress as much as Glenn loves his, guaranteed. And right now, if you go to Casper.com and use the code BECK, you're going to save $50 on select mattresses. This code is BECK at Casper.com to save $50 on select mattresses. Casper.com. Terms and conditions apply. It's stewing for Glenn. He'll be back tomorrow. Uh, everybody's getting on board with this immigration thing right now. You get, everyone's tweeting about it, saying we have a Laura Bush thing coming up. We'll talk about here uh, her feelings on this issue. Uh, but uh, Planned Parenthood has also uh, been involved. They've tweeted on this. Uh, they say, in your hearts and minds today, all of our, in our hearts and minds today, all the fathers and parents who have been separated from their children at borders, keep families together. Hashtag Father's Day. Now, I'm pretty much what you'd consider a First Amendment absolutist, okay? I think uh, the First Amendment is a really smart policy, a required policy in the United States if you care about the Constitution. But I do have one limit. Free free speech has its limits. We've talked about uh, fire in a crowded theater. That's one limit. Here's the second limit. This is really my only limit, I think. Planned Parenthood doesn't get to celebrate Father's Day. You just, you give up certain things when you decide to be an organization that's going to abort 300,000 babies a year. The first thing you give up is your right to Father's Day. It's number one on the list. You can have all the other holidays you want. There's lots of good holidays out there. Flag Day, for example. Just, I mean, fly that thing proudly. Any flag you want, Flag Day is yours. Your Planned Parenthood, you you want to go nuts on Arbor Day? That's fantastic. I encourage it. I frankly encourage it. In fact, you should give your employees more days off. They should be at the office a lot less. That would be great. Groundhog Day. Everyone wants to know what the weather's going to be in the future, especially when told to by a groundhog weatherman. I know I do. You can celebrate that all day, Planned Parenthood. Light it up. It's going to be fantastic. Watch Bill Murray on repeat. It's great. Groundhog Day, you're going to love. How about May the 4th be with you? Star Wars Day, completely appropriate for Planned Parenthood to celebrate. I'm fine with it. You want to make up, you want National Donut Day? Wonderful. You can do that. Pi Day, Pie, March 14th, 3.14, Pi Day. Celebrate all the time if you're Planned Parenthood. You don't get to celebrate Father's Day if you're Planned Parenthood. You can celebrate anything else you want. Take your child to work. T- well, not that one. Okay, not not take... Okay, you don't get that one either. No Father's Day, no take your child to work day. But other than that, it's holidays galore. This is the Glenn Beck Program. It's due in for Mr. Glenn Beck, who misses an important day uh, today as something he's been talking about for a long time and you probably didn't believe has finally come true. We've talked for a very long time about the, the, the difficulty in communicating to the other side, to the left, the importance of many different principles. And many of you have sat back and believed that it couldn't be done. There was no hope in this particular uh, approach because in the end, the left is going to go back to their ways. They're not going to listen to us. They're not going to, they don't care. They're not going to be won over. Yet here we are, here we are in the United States of America in 2018, and the left has found the Bible. The left has embraced God in a way we never could have expected. Over and over again, you get segment after segment. We have MSNBC anchors on television reading Bible verses today. Think of this miracle. Who would have thought that this could have happened? Because of this border issue and these terrible Republican policies where children are being ripped out of the arms. Of loving parents. The left has found the Bible. They now care about it more than us, apparently. They now care about it almost exclusively. They're on TV. They're reading verse after verse after verse. It's incredible. Let me give you a clip. This is from MSNBC. Uh, on the wonderful AM Joy show. Now, you may, might remember the last time we visited AM Joy. She was uh, trashing uh, gays and uh, believing in 9-11 conspiracy theories on her blog, which somehow she's escaped any consequence for. Uh, again, I am all about not getting fired for tweets. I don't care. You shouldn't, generally speaking, when you hire someone who's there for an, an opinion role, or, and this it goes to comedians, it goes to singers, it goes to actors... For something that you say, some opinion you should have, you shouldn't lose your job. So I don't think uh, Joy Reid should lose her job because of the nonsensical, moronic things she believed in 2006 and 2007 on her blog. I really don't. I mean, if you do that, you're going to have a lot of firing to do. Because about half of Democrats believe George Bush was responsible for 9-11. Half. From that, you know, far right-wing conspiracy theorist, Alex Jones. Half, Demo- half of Democrats believed his theories when Bush was president. So you're going to have a ton of firing to do if you go down this road. But somehow, she has escaped the consequence that seemingly anyone else would receive from comments like hers from back in the day. Perhaps it's her deep belief in God that's pur- pulled her through this. I don't know. Here's a segment from her show uh, talking about pro-Trump, anti-immigration Christians and how evil
2: they really are. The Christians who still support Trump, who is separating mothers from babies, are now condoning a form of child abuse. And beyond that, as a Christian, I can just say I can't think of anything that would be more jesus hating not one this thing. isn't just jesus disobeying mm-hmm. this is jesus hating mm-hmm. everything the gospel stands for is contradicted but there is hope there are white republican voters who identify as evangelicals coming forward for instance a new group VoteCommonGood.com, mm-hmm. has recently formed to start a bus tour that That's is going homepage, to go coast uh-huh. to coast with evangelical, progressive, former evangelical, and other religious people on board appealing to that sliver of evangelical voters who look at this and are sickened as any American who loves this country would be. So there are going to be repercussions for the Republican Party that have gone along like pimps of evil (laughs) with this president. (laughs) Pimps of evil?
1: Pimps of evil. Wow, that's uh, that's an impressive one there. Pimps of evil. I mean, you can't think of anything that would be more Jesus-hating than the idea of separating children into these facilities because their parents broke the law. Uh, I could go back and read the Planned Parenthood tweet if you'd like. Maybe I could give you one idea of what could be a little more Jesus-hating, but I digress on that one the idea of what these things are becoming is is it's fever dream of the left right now it really is um, you know we, we've seen this in conspiracy theorists uh, worlds forever and the idea that these kids are, are in these terrible facilities of hell it doesn't seem to be proved out by the facts let me go to uh, this another MSNBC clip this is uh, about border detention centers what are they really
3: we can't find a solution to this problem without harming children, right? without and, putting and I, them into I, concentration camps.
0: And I would Uh-oh. even say, Stephanie, to that point, it's not <laughs> no. even an interpretation of the law. It is a policy. It's a new policy. It is a, a, new- a policy that has been invoked by the President of the United That's States right. and dictated to his Attorney General, who goes out and quotes the Bible. By the way, a passage that was used to justify slavery uh, in this country, to, to justify encamping children. I call this a concentration Concentration camp for kids, because that's exactly what is turning out to They're outdoing like
1: CBN at this point. The, the, uh, there's more Bible talk on MSNBC than I had at church this weekend. I, that, it's all they care about is the Bible now. It's, just, it's fascinating. Concentration camps. It's possible we don't know what the word that the term means. It's possible that is the issue here. Because You know, it's funny, the ADL comes out every time someone mentions anything about, uh, that's even mildly related to the Nazi era, uh, and they try to relate it to politics of the day. It's not like this has happened to us several times or anything. Uh, Every time you come out and you say something that refers to the Nazi era and you compare it to what's going on today, man, do we see a a reaction from a lot of these left-wing groups that make sure that you're in line with the way that you're supposed to be speaking, and I understand that. However, A lot of people talking concentration camps right now with no repercussions. A lot of people doing it. And are these things actually concentration camps? I'm fascinated by this because what you have is a a difficult issue. If you decide to enforce this law, which is the real thing they're complaining about, as we talked about in the first half hour, you can go back and listen to the podcast if you want to get that breakdown. But if you decide you want to enforce this law, you're going to have an increase in these situations where you're separating parent- from child it's not pretty all you can do is do the best that you can to honor the law and try to do the best that you can for these kids laura bush uh is very concerned about this and laura bush obviously uh, wife of george w bush um no left-wing crazy but she's very upset about uh about this issue she says i live in a border state and i appreciate the need to enforce and protect our international boundaries but this zero tolerance tolerance policy is cruel it is immoral and it breaks my heart. These images are eerily reminiscent of the Japanese-American internment camps of World War II, now considered to have been one of the most shameful episodes in U.S. history. Now, you can't hit Laura on this one uh, because uh, of, of who, who she is and who, who she's married to. However, you will see a lot of people on the left citing the concentration camp issue They will cite the uh, Japanese-American internment camp issue, and at the same time will tell you that FDR is one of our best presidents. It's important to realize how completely nuts this is. The Nazis were not a right-wing group. They were a group that wanted a government large enough and, and, and held by all the power in one person's hands to control every aspect of your life. We all know this about Nazism, yet somehow it's related to American conservatism. I don't understand it got nothing to do with it and that's an old argument Uh, the idea that Japanese American uh, internment camps can be the thing that we're going to criticize now as historians consistently put FDR in the top three or four presidents of all time I mean it's very difficult to take Colleen Kraft, who heads the American Academy of Pediatrics visited a shelter run by the US Office of Refugee Resettlement she reported that while there were Beds, toys, crayons, a playground, and diaper changes. The people working at the shelter had been instructed not to pick up or touch the children to comfort them. Imagine not being able to pick up a child who is not yet out of diapers. It's very powerful imagery. Now, this this claim is all over the place. You will find it, first of all, from the Washington Post. It's the story that I was telling you about that tells you about how this issue has been going on forever in paragraph twenty that I, I I talked about earlier. The CNN article, by the way, they did a great job. Only stuck it in paragraph six, so that's uh, wow. I mean, what an incredible job by that. End. But uh, paragraph twenty, it, you will find out that this has been going on for years and years and years. But the cla- the claim from uh, from Kraft, Colleen Kraft, who is again not a nobody, she heads the American Academy of Pediatrics. She visited a shelter. Obviously, uh, someone who was friendly with their belief that, uh, you know, things weren't going right. She alerted. Colleen Kraft. Kraft comes to check it out. And she gives this story. The first child uh, to, uh, for, to, ca- to catch the attention of this pediatrician was the child Laura Bush is talking about. It's a two-year-old. She's screaming, around, screaming, pounding her fist on the mat. Now, before that, she does describe, in many ways, it was a friendly environment for children a place where they could be happy. Again, this is the case against this facility. Does it sound like a Japanese American internment camp? Does it sound like a concentration camp when you can describe it as in many ways a friendly environment for children, a place where they could be happy? Again, you're you're knocking the people running these facilities. You're not knocking Trump here, okay? But the first child who caught the prominent pediatrician's attention, during a recent visit, was anything but happy. Inside a room dedicated to toddlers was a little girl, no older than two, screaming and pounding her fist on a mat. One woman tried to give her toys and books to calm her down, but even that shelter worker seemed frustrated, Kraft told the Washington Post. Why? Because as much as she wanted to console the little girl, she couldn't touch, hold, or pick her up to let her know that everything would be alright. That was the rule, Kraft said. She was told they're not allowed to touch the children. Not allowed to touch the children. Now, I happen to be a a parent of two. They were young at one time. Both of them actually were two at one particular moment in history. And I'm trying to figure out how you change diapers without touching a child? How do you do that exactly? How do you pick them up and put them on a changing table without touching them? The rule is you can't touch them or pick them up, but their their diapers are being changed. So these guys, I don't know if they're using tweezers or do they have some? So do they have the little grabby claws? And they could actually pull the, the little pieces of tape off to change the diapers. How exactly is this process occurring? You're telling me. Now, look, there are some times you look at a news story and you say, this is why I believe this happened. This is why I believe this happened. This is why I believe this happened. This is why this isn't okay. This is why this is okay. Other times you need to look at something purely on its face and 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 do your best to analyze the situation. And this is one of those times. Sometimes you just come to the conclusion that that's just a lie. Maybe it's not. Maybe we will find out that some bureaucrat has designed a policy in which they are telling workers at facilities that they can change diapers but not make contact with the baby. Perhaps there is some magical policy That has been created in which, honestly, some insanely heartless individual would say, while all the other kids in the facility are having a good time and, quote, seem happy, the one child who's having trouble can get no love or consoling attention from the workers there. I know that I drop my kids off at daycare occasionally. I uh, have babysitters. We have uh, places like camps, not internment camps, not concentration camps, fun camps. Camps where they do art, camps where they play sports, camps where they have fun. And occasionally, like every kid on the planet, one of them has a meltdown. You know what happens? Even when the workers there are 17-year-old high school students that don't have kids and probably have barely babysat in their life, they console the child. First of all, they do it whether they're told they're able to or not. But second of all, there's no, it doesn't seem possible to me that there's any way a policy has been designed that you can't console a child. If that is true, it's obviously wrong. But on its face, let's call it out. It seems like it's just flat out a lie. I don't know if she was lied to. I don't know if the worker was lying to her. I don't know what happened, but that just doesn't pass the sniff test. Tika Tawari has a a, a wonderful course about cryptocurrencies, and it's designed for people like me, dumb people like myself, morons who put their money into certain cryptocurrencies that they don't understand at all. That's me. I uh, do invest a little bit in cryptocurrencies. And I think they're really interesting. I think, you know, Glenn said it a bunch of times. If you, you know, if a hundred bucks is something that you can afford, a cryptocurrency is a cool place to be because, you know, there are times where it's went up 20, 30, 40 times, but it's still up by a lot. Tika decided to uh, d- design this course with us. Um, we were like, hey, can you explain this to morons like us? And he did. He's a former Wall Street trader. He's done a great job with this course. It has got a 97% rating of, of Glenn's listeners, which is fantastic. And he designed this course. You can take it for free at smartcryptocourse.com. Smartcryptocourse.com. This is an exclusive Glenn Beck course. I think you're really going to like it. And if you're like me, you put into cryptocurrencies and then they go out of business and you, you're supposed to register or something and you lose all your money. Eh, this happens to people like me that don't take this course. Go to smartcryptocourse.com or 877-PBL-BECK. 877-PBL-BECK. Jimmy Kimmel lost to Ted Cruz at basketball. He played... Ted Cruz at basketball and lost. Jimmy Kimmel lost to Ted Cruz at basketball. Jimmy Kimmel lost to Ted Cruz playing basketball. Glenn Beck. It's Stu for Glenn. He's out. He broke both of his thumbs using his iPad too much. A lot of times we talk about politics and topics that relate around politics, and they don't necessarily affect you. You get kind of hyped up about some issue, and it doesn't actually affect you all that much this one i think does i think this one will hit you right at home i know it does for me and it even does for simon cowell yes simon cowell apparently has not touched his smartphone for 10 months 10 months he uh he i mean here's a guy who you know probably needs to be connected a heck of a lot more than i do he says, uh, the thing I get irritated with is when you can't have a meeting and everyone's on their phone. When you, ha- you have a meeting and everyone's on their phone, you can't concentrate. He goes on to say that he's given it up and it's made his life a lot better. I don't know. I mean, I, every time I hop on my phone, I think to myself, life would be better if I was not on my phone. Do you have that feeling a lot of times? You, like, you're, what are you getting out of it? My wife is in the middle of um, a self-imposed facebook deletion off of her phone where she's taken a step and she's like you know what i I don't like this what do i get out of it i keep going on it i keep just cycling through the same people saying the same things and seeing the same pictures over and over again why am i doing this to myself and she's deleted it off her phone it's tough though because she's done this before and then i get the three days later conversation where she tells me oh look at this picture this is awesome i had to put facebook on my phone to post it it's so amazing And that is what it is. We we really are addicted to it. And I think there's two parts of this. It's one of just the constant being berated by social media and all of these uh, things that your phone does. And then on the other side, there's just the anger of the politics. And, you know, how many people do you get? I I was talking to somebody yesterday who was telling me about how, you know, a friend of 25 years, 25 years. They disagreed on some policy issue with North Korea. Long-time friends and coworkers for 25 years and then one unfriended the other because one was more friendly to Trump's North Korea policy than the other. That just doesn't feel like if they had that conversation together at work, they would have probably been completely fine. But this is a, I mean, it, is, it hits you a lot closer than, you know, some random tax policy. Or, you know, some, some little program that gets discussed for days and days and days and days. Those things are important, and we've, you know, talked about them a lot today. But I also wanted to talk to Catherine Price. She is one of my favorite authors. Uh, author of the new book, How to Break Up with Your Phone. Also, Vitamania, uh, telling the truth about vitamins and the actual science behind them, which is an incredibly insane book that you would not believe. Uh, and also, uh, 101 Places Not to Visit Before You Die. Uh, which is a a very good outline of that particular topic. Uh, Catherine joins us now. Catherine? Hi. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, I think, man, I think you hit something here that is right in the middle of where everybody is. Uh, You tell a story about how you kind of launched on this uh, process of trying to figure out how to break up with your phone. And it's a place that I know I have been, and I think every parent with young children has been, when you kind of look down at, at, at your child and you realize you're paying attention to your phone instead of them. Can you talk, talk walk us through that story?
3: Yeah, I definitely can. I also feel the need to say for your listeners that Stu and I have... have been together in mm-hmm. the wonderful world of Stu, and I'm feeling very strange right now because I'm used to talking to you when my head is on a TV screen on some <laughs> random man's lap. So just know that that's the image in my mind for this whole conversation. Uh, yes, of course. <laughs> um, but um yeah, I mean, I had had a baby about three years ago, and I noticed one night, I'm sure this was happening more than just this night, but there was one night in particular when I noticed that she was looking up at me and I was looking down at my phone. And it might have been the sleep deprivation, I don't know, but I had this kind of -of out-of-body experience where I I saw that as it would appear from the outside, and it really made me upset because I didn't want her first impression of her mother to be me staring at a device. And then, um, as you mentioned, I'm a science journalist, and so when I actually started to look into what was going on there, I realized maybe part of my discomfort is because I remembered this thing called the Still Face Experiment, which is this thing where researchers had a parent interact normally with a baby for a minute and then spend one minute totally with a still face. You can find this if you Google still face experiment, but you might get really emotional because it's upset because the baby freaks out. You can see the baby go through all these stages of what's happening. I don't understand why in this case, the mother is not responding to me and starts crying and flailing around and making this high-pitched wail that is very difficult to listen to. And I think in the back of my mind, I kind of had that in my head. And and then what I realized is that I was still facing my own daughter and that in a broader sense, we're doing that to each other. And no one knows what the consequences long term of that
1: is going to be yeah it's i really like the approach you took here because i think all of us sort of rant about this topic we all kind of sit back and think about what we do in our lives or we have that story of that moment where you're you know your kid's excited about something and they're looking up at you looking for you to return that excitement and you know you're on ebay um and so <laughs> yeah it's just a terrible feeling as a parent you really feel like you're not doing your job and in many ways you're right um, but it, you actually went through and looked at the science of not only what this does to kids, but also, uh, how these, how your devices really become addicting. Can you talk about that?
3: Yeah, I, I talked about that all day. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I should probably clarify first, just so people don't freak out and switch the station. When I say break up with your phone, I don't mean dump your phone. I don't mean throw it out. Um, our phones are really useful tools and they're absolutely amazing, right? So this is about creating a healthier relationship with your phone. So yeah. because going from like... Oh, go
1: ahead. I was a bit confused because how to break up your phone. I needed to read because I'm usually on the other end of breakups. I don't know really know how to break up <laughs> with anything. Uh, so, right, right. So yeah. maybe
3: yeah, you can use this as a <laughs> tool for other things. Uh, no, but I mean you know because if you if you break up with someone, a human, you're not saying you're never going to date anybody again. You're just saying this relationship was not working well for you, and you want something better like, hopefully that's what you're saying. Um, So you're really just going from this obsessive romantic relationship where you're sleeping next to your phone and you're craving your phone when you're not near it and you can't bear to be without it, to being friends with your phone and being, you know, meet for coffee when it's convenient or nice, like use it when it's useful or truly fun, but then have boundaries. So that's the goal here. Um, But basically, yeah, so what I did is once I had this kind of, oh my goodness, revelation uh, in the middle of the night with my daughter, and I was actually looking at eBay, thanks for pointing that out, looking at was like truly a bizarre fixation that I was I was going through, but anyway, I, I started to look into the science of these hunches that I'd had because once I started to pay attention um, to how my phone was making me feel, and how I just was functioning as a person in the world, I began to suspect something weird was going on in that my attention span felt very flighty. I couldn't concentrate. I was having trouble remembering things. And I just felt kind of hollow in some way. Like I would get into these texts um, back and forth with a close friend, uh, nothing controversial, no North Korea, but just, you know, just but what would seem like fun banter. And then at the end of it, I would just feel kind of like empty. Like I, I enjoyed the witty back and forth, but I hadn't actually connected with that person. Mm. And so I I looked into the science of whether I was crazy um, or if there was actually some truth to the idea that our phones are affecting us. And, and what I found is that, yeah, they definitely are affecting us. And um, one thing that stood out to me is that just the sheer amount of time the average person is spending on their phone now. There's a time tracking app called Moment that works for Apple devices that I really recommend. You can use quality time for Android and it will track how much time you're spending on your phone each day, just the time on your screen, not the time when you're like on a phone call or listening to a podcast. And the average person of this app, which has nearly 5 million users, is three hours and 57 minutes a day. So almost four hours a day just on your screen, which is like a quarter of your waking life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it adds up to, yeah, to 60 full days a year, 24 hour days of your life.
1: And wow, that's think, insane. Isn't it,
3: right? Yeah, it, it it is insane, but it's just common. That's what we're doing. And the phones only came along in 2007 is when Steve Jobs announced the first iPhone. So it's really a dramatic change. And what I realized is if you're spending four hours a day doing anything, you probably should pay attention to that. That's more time than you're probably spending with the people you have relationships with. And what I realized is if you do anything for four hours a day, you're going to change your brain because our brains are very malleable. Well. And what I found looking into the research is that, yes, actually spending, I mean, not even necessarily four hours a day, spending time on your phone uh, is having an impact on our attention spans because they're like little distraction means uh, machines. Our focus, our memory, I mean, I can talk about all these depending on what you want to pursue, but uh, our creativity and productivity definitely having an impact on our, our relationships, which kind of should go without saying, like, I hardly feel like we need to have a study to show that if you just look out in the world. Um, and also our physical health, it's affecting our sleep. And we're actually developing physical ailments as a result of our phones. Like, there's actually terms like text neck or cell uh, phone elbow, <laughs> or texting thumb, which sounds like totally nuts. And then you, re- I talked to a physical therapist, and he said, "Yep, that's a real thing."
1: Well, it's <laughs> one. I, I actually, I think that's how I judge when I'm on my phone too much is when my thumb starts to hurt. Like when you, okay. that means you are. This is pathetic, right? I mean, I, I'm i I'm the person <laughs> going to say that. Yes, yeah, no. say that. <laughs> I am the person who will complain about not having enough time to, you know, first of all, go to the gym, but many other things. And uh, you know, if your thumb is hurting because you're scrolling through, you know, some stupid social media app too much probably a good sign that you've gone a little bit too far you also kind of talk about how this happens uh a lot of us you know i do this all the time which is reading at bed uh, at night right before bed you have your phone out you're scrolling through twitter you're reading articles it's kind of your late night reading is that a terrible horrible idea or just kind of bad
3: well it depends if you want to sleep well Mm. No, I kind of do. If you want to sleep, well, okay, so you want to sleep well. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, let's think about this. Your phone, several things about this. It's a screen that is emanating light from it. Uh, Phone screens, computer screens give off a very blue light. Blue light is the same kind of light as daylight. So if you have a blue light close to your face before bedtime, and the closer it is, the more dramatic the effect will be, you're telling your brain it's daytime. You're Mm. essentially giving yourself jet lag. (laughs) Now, uh, you know, there's night mode for for most devices, which switches the light to be a bit more yellow, so it removes some of the blueness, which is helpful, but you're still putting a light in your face <laughs> before right. bed. And if any, anyone who travels a lot knows, like, one of the things you're supposed to do to get over jet lag, if your body thinks it's night, is to go for a walk in the sunshine to get your body's hormonal systems to be in circadian rhythms to get to recognize that it's daytime. So that's bad. But even if it didn't have any light, if you think about what we're doing on our phones before bed, like the example you gave with Twitter, that's not like uh, listening to the ocean or (laughs) something calming. You're looking at the news. You're looking at, um, like you were saying, political comments. You're looking, I mean, even if it's not, even if it's just like cat videos, you're still looking at this stream of distraction that is really amping up your brain and making it harder to fall asleep. So there's many reasons that if you want to get a good night's sleep, you don't want to be doing that. And, uh, and it's also worth noting that uh, lack of sleep, and by that I don't mean like pulling all-nighters. I mean you can actually have negative effects from just a cumulative loss of sleep of, say, 45 minutes to an hour a day over a week. That affects a lot of things that cell phones are also affecting on their own. Like lack of sleep will, will affect your ability to concentrate and focus and remember and connect with people. I mean lack of sleep is a big deal, and it, and it can add up in small increments.
1: Um, I want to take a break and come back on the other side with the solution because th- that's really what your book is. You go through the science of you know, how this is affecting you generally negatively, but then also a kind of a, an approach to to stop it because it seems at times to be impossible to stop. Uh, back in a second with Catherine Price, it's how to break up your, with your phone, uh, her new book. And it's a 30-day plan. So, you know, you, know, you don't have to be super duper committed. 30 days. You can get through 30 days of, of doing anything with, of course, the exception of eating right, which is impossible. Obviously, we all know that. That's not possible. Triple eight seven twenty seven. Beck is the phone number. Uh, Glenn is out today. He'll be back uh, tomorrow. So homeowners, you're making great gains. This has been a great time for the market, man. If you've had, a, if you bought a house back in two thousand nine or two thousand ten, especially. I mean, really, any time. This is the highest you know, we've seen uh, housing prices in a long time. Uh, home equity increase of thirteen point three percent since the first quarter of last year. since the first quarter of last year. That's insane. That's uh, according to the latest home equity analysis from CoreLogic. What does it all mean? Well, if you're a homeowner, your investment is, is really making you some serious money right now. Money that can be used to pay off debt, maybe fund some home improvements or pay off your kids' high interest college tuition. And if you're not a homeowner, well, it's a great time to invest in your own home. Get started today by calling these salary-based mortgage consultants at American Financing. I went through the process with American Financing. These people are awesome. They know what they're talking about. They're going to steer you in the right direction. And you can go and talk to them and and get advice, and and they're going to be able to hook you up with a great deal. Call American Financing at 800-906-2440. That's 800-906-2440. Or online at AmericanFinancing.net, AmericanFinancing.net.
0: American Financing Corporation, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org.
1: Glenn Beck.
0: It's Stu in for Glenn. He'll be back tomorrow. We're
1: talking to Catherine Price. She's the author of How to Break Up with Your Phone. And Catherine, I had some news in the break. My wife uh, told me she downloaded Moment, uh, the app (laughs) uh, that monitors your usage, which is a positive change, although she did text it to me. So that means she was on her phone telling me she was trying to break up with her phone. And I'm not sure if that's positive or not.
3: That's really funny. Well, I was going to say about the Facebook thing and the installing and reinstalling whatever. I think that's okay. Speaking
1: to wife of stew right nice. now. Thank because, you. For
3: example, yeah, I've got. Wait, what is her name?
1: <laughs> Lisa. Lisa, you don't Lisa. have to call her wife Lisa. of stew. That is how wife she usually goes. I am Lisa, okay. wife
3: of stew. Stew. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, no, I have a problem with email, and so what I tend to do, I go through these cycles where I take the app off my phone, and then I'll, and then I'm like, yeah, let me just check a little bit, and I'll go to Gmail on the Safari browser, mm-hmm. and then I'll realize that that's a problem, and uh, then I'll delete everything, and then I start again. And but I think that's completely fine because. Basically, you're aware of the issue, like, you know that it's a problem, and you are aware of when it starts to make you feel bad again. So maybe the ultimate goal is to wean yourself off Facebook entirely, but I don't think that there's any point in making yourself feel bad about occasionally, um, you know, going through these cycles. It's just natural. Mm -hmm. So for me right now, I've actually made it really impossible, because now I've got the email app deleted off my phone, and, okay, Lisa, wait for this one. There's an app called Freedom, which will block your access. You can choose what apps and websites you don't want to give yourself access. To during a particular times, so if you want to focus for a little bit, for example. Mm. Um, but anyway, I blocked Gmail for 24 hours a day, so that now if I want to check email from my phone, I need to do all sorts of workarounds. <laughs> um, but that, but that actually is a. I know we're going to talk about solutions in a second, and that's a big thing for listeners to be aware of. Is that one thing you want to do for yourself is just make it harder to do the habits that you're trying to change. Don't forbid you for yourself from doing them, but just make it harder. I call these speed bumps, like little obstacles that make you slow down so that if you choose to proceed, you know it's by choice. If I check my email on my phone right now, I know it's by choice is I have to do like six things to get there. Mm-hmm. And it makes a difference to not feel like it's a restriction. It's just kind of an inconvenience. And so if I really need to, I can do it. But otherwise, I'm not going to just kind of like habitually go and find my email app open or Facebook or whatever your problem app might be. Um, without knowing why and then look up 45 minutes later and be like, oh my goodness, what did I just do with my life?
4: Yeah,
1: all right. That then that happens all too often. Um, Catherine, we've got about two, a little over two minutes here uh, to download about 30 days of information. You have a 30-day plan. Okay. Uh, can you give us a quick outline of it and, and, and tell people how they can kind of get going on this process?
3: Sure. Um, well, there's a 30 day accompaniment on my website phonebreakup.com it's free so you can sign up for that to keep yourself on track but basically the point is to become aware of your own habits that's an important place to start don't just jump in by saying i want to spend less time on my phone because that's not really a goal that's just a random statement that feels like a diet which isn't fun <laughs> so ask yourself what do you want to do instead what do you want to do with that with the other part of your with your time with your 4 hours and then set up your environment once you have that goal in place Uh, change your environment on and off your phone to support that. So make it more difficult to get sucked into your phone. I've got lots of suggestions on that in the book, Uh, like turn off notifications, only have tools on your home screen, not temptations, Uh, delete your problem apps and just use them from the desktop. But then also make changes to your physical environment. So like if you're trying to read more before bed and you always check your phone, charge your phone somewhere else and then put a book that you want to read on your bedside table. So anytime you remove a trigger for a negative habit you're trying to change, be sure you put back a positive one. And then just start paying attention to how you feel when you're on your phone. I think that's one of the biggest suggestions I can have. Just notice if you actually feel good when you're done or while you're using it. And the very act of paying attention is actually a really powerful, scientifically proven tool for behavior change. So that's just like a little bit of a teaser for the kind of stuff that's um in there since we're on limited time but i uh basically i didn't just want to write a book that was depressing that left <laughs> people thinking oh my goodness we're destroying ourselves and our society and not give you something to do about it so my point was really to make a practical plan that would help people make changes both in terms of their phone habits and their habits in the rest of their lives as well
1: yeah the book is how to break up your with your phone from Catherine price and it's very easy to understand very it walks you through these steps very uh, you know in a sensible way that's actually fun and interesting but you, you, you do realize that you're really working against the current here. I mean, these, there's billions of dollars of companies and research that are going to try to make you get back to that phone as much as possible, and it just feels like we're just losing that war right now.
3: Well, that's a depressing way to end, isn't it? <laughs>
1: Yes, I, I try. That's what I usually no, do. That's, that's why I'm the one good. getting broken up with all the time. That's a...
3: <laughs> no, I think that all that is true. But with that said, we each have power within ourselves to make changes. So, I mean, I think that you make a very good point. But that's why it's that much more important for each of us to become more aware of our own habits and become more aware of how we actually want to be spending our lives.
1: See, now we ended it on a point of individual responsibility, Catherine. This is uh-huh. a, this is perfect. This is exactly how there this should go. happen. All right. <laughs> Catherine-Price.com is the place to go. Uh, what was that... You other website you said uh, oh, phone, phone
3: it's easier because there's no hyphen phone breakup.com phone
1: breakup.com you can get katherine yeah. on twitter as well uh, if you're constantly checking twitter refreshing her feed constantly it's Catherine underscore price Catherine, thanks so much really appreciate it
3: thank you so much for having me
1: have you ever been out in the real world and you bump into somebody who listens to the show hey, I listen to the Glenn Beck show too. Really? So do I. And you kind of have an instant connection with that person because you know that you know, they're going to share some of your values. You might not agree on everything, but you know they're probably going to be a hardworking person. They're probably going to be a person who's sort of salt of the earth and, and, and has, you know, is a word is your bond sort of person. Uh, that's at least been my experience with this audience over all of these years. Uh, and that's kind of the thought be- behind realestateagentsitrust.com. Glenn and Tanya, like we're, we're thinking, well, we need to get to find a place that's going to screen real estate agents so we get great people with great results, but people that we can trust, that we, uh, I don't know, that have share the same values. It's a tough thing to just find out there, but everyone who's on realestateagentsitrust.com came there because they knew about the show, they are fans of the show, and they're people you're going to be able to relate to that you can trust. realestateagentsitrust.com if you need to sell a house fast and for the most money, or if you're looking to buy, go to realestateagentsitrust.com
3: this is the glenn beck program
1: it's Stu in for glenn uh he is out i believe uh, designing a brand new flirtation policy for the blaze takes a lot of time apparently netflix is finding this out they have abandoned its workers from looking at each other for more than five seconds as a bizarre as a bizarre no flirting rule has been in place the company's film also uh, for, the film's crew can only uh, look at each other for five seconds, and no longer ask their colleagues for their phone numbers. And staff are encouraged to shout, "Stop! Don't do that again!" If they feel harassed, now, that's going to be effective. You know, just he's just walking around the Netflix headquarters, just constantly hearing, "Stop! Don't do that again!" I like that. Uh, it doesn't. Know, I don't know if that's going to work, um, but I guess it would. It would alert authorities. every time you're walking down the hall you keep hearing stop don't do that again that would be effective i believe five seconds though the good thing about the phone conversation that we just had is no one has an attention span for longer than five seconds so it's very difficult to look at a person for more than five seconds Uh, it has sparked jokes inside the company people looking at each other counting to five and then diverting their eyes (laughs) of course everyone just winds up making fun of these things once they start uh, senior staff uh, went to harassment meeting to learn what isn't isn't appropriate. Looking at each other for longer than five seconds is considered creepy. It is a weird part of human interaction. I have to say the me too thing. There hasn't been a ton of news about it lately. But the one thing that I've noticed is this Bill Clinton book tour that's been going on, which has been really enlightening. It really has. It's an interesting place that we're in. First of all, for poor James Patterson, who decided, hey, I'm going to co-write a book with an ex-president. It's going to be great. We're going to go around. They love this guy. He gets nothing but positive media attention. We're going to go around, do some interviews. It's going to be great. Now he's like Teller in every interview, just sitting there quietly next to Penn. Except Penn isn't acting really smart and doing magic tricks. He's answering questions about affairs he had multiple years ago. Uh, it's not been a good book tour. I, I think we can agree with that. But it is nice to see, isn't it a weird moment where we sit here and we look at the media and their coverage of Bill Clinton and they finally have magically understood what we've been saying all these years? All of a sudden, they're just right on board with this guy being a complete dirtbag. All of a sudden, they've realized the truth about his character. His character didn't matter for all of these years. But man, now, now that he's no longer in a place where they can he can influence really the political movements his wife has lost now twice, no longer Secretary of State, no longer a Senator, they're just a couple now. And wow, did they get rid of them fast. So now Bill Clinton... Is going around and he's answering question after question after question about the Me Too movement. And I, I I find it interesting the direction this has been going. Over and over again, he's been asked about Monica Lewinsky. And this is something that I think might be controversial, but we need to we need to understand it before we go forward here. Monica Lewinsky is not a victim in the Me Too movement. Juanita Broderick, you could absolutely say she's a victim in the Me Too movement. Paula Jones, absolutely. Kathleen Willey, absolutely. You could talk about all of that. But is Monica Lewinsky a victim? This is the one they keep talking about over and over again. Monica Lewinsky, this affair from all these years ago. They act as if she was some unwitting victim. Juanita Broderick was, if you believe her story. And many seemingly all of a sudden do. But I mean, she told a passionate story about how she was victimized by Bill Clinton. And there was no question about it. If you believe the story, she absolutely is a victim of a serious crime. Is that the case with Monica Lewinsky? Monica Lewinsky was a willing participant in an affair with the president. She was not only a willing participant, she was an excited participant she was into it this was not a thing where he was pressuring her that's not what happened and people try to say well come on it's the president of the united states and uh, she's a 23 year old woman yeah she is a 23 year old woman if you're a 23 year old woman out there listening do you feel like you couldn't make that decision do you feel like you shouldn't have control of your sex life do you feel like you shouldn't be able to make those choices for yourself? Is 23 years old, do we not demand out of a 23-year-old that they make their own decisions? Now, it's one thing if this goes a different direction. You know, if, if it gets to be a point where he is forcing her in some way to do something that she doesn't want to do, well, by all means, me to it all day. Absolutely. As is the case with all these other women that have been tossed away by the left for so many years. But Monica Lewinsky, Are we taking agency away from 23-year-olds now? Joan of Arc was a national icon, a war hero, and was canonized as a saint of the Catholic Church. She was also dead by 19 years old. She got all that done in 19 years. How about uh, Sacagawea, helping Lewis and Clark, 16 years old. Cleopatra, ruling Egypt. Annie Oakley. There was something really, really cool stuff for Annie Oakley here at the museum that we had this weekend. Uh, and if you happen to go to it, uh, feel, please feel free to call in and tell us uh, what you thought because we met so many great people here. But I mean, here is someone who at 15 years old was was winning national, incredible national competitions, beating the best marksman available. And she was much younger than Monica Lewinsky. You Want to go a little bit more modern? Katrina Lake. She uh, worked in venture capital. You might not know her name. She went to Harvard Business School. She came up with the idea that would soon turn into Stitch Fix, a company now bill- uh, valued at two billion dollars. Juliet Brindack? She uh, was 16 years old. Sold a book of a hundred thousand copies. A Kathy Ty published her first research paper at 16. The, founding, the company that she founded is helping researchers understand the function of genes and keep track of gene variants, just like my hobby. Basically, we are the same people. Have you heard of Malala? She, of course, defied the Taliban in Pakistan, demanded that girls be allowed to receive an education. She was shot in the head by a Taliban gunman in 2012 and survived, went on to win the Nobel Peace Prize. We're going to act as if women can't make their own dating decisions at 23 years old? Is this real? You know, that is essentially what Monica Lewinsky has been saying. She was a victim of the power structure. And this is a, you know, look, relationships are strange. The way we interact with each other is, is weird. But power is part of the package. It is part of the package when you like someone. You know, some random uh, computer programmer meets somebody at a bar. They have a nice little interaction. Things are going okay, but not that great. The person seems smart. She seems okay. Halfway through the conversation, he discovers she's a VP at Google. Think that helps or hurts the his impression of her? It helps, right? It does. It's not because he wants a job from her. It's not because he wants to be able to scam her bank account and maybe get a couple of free trips. I mean, some people do these things. But the point is, your brain does an internal computation, right? You meet someone, they seem accomplished, they seem like they have things together. When you see that they've accomplished great things, to you, it's going to elevate them in in a relationship sense. That's completely natural. That's different than what we're talking about here. It's not because he wants access to her ATM card. That's not the way it is. Bill committed a lot of offenses, but having power, which made Monica more interested in him, isn't one of them. She's not a victim because he had a good job. She made that choice because she was interested in him. And he made that choice because he was interested in everybody. There are tears here. Harvey Weinstein, top tier, right? The worst. We know what he's done. Horrible, horrible things. Actual... Rape, right? He's at the top of the uh, of that uh, tier. A few, few levels down, go down and go down. You've got men who constantly are making sexual comments and inappropriate. You go down, down, down. From there, you get to like a Glenn Thrush, a reporter who you might know, Politico, DC reporter. Uh, he accomplished, he's a you know, very accomplished reporter. And his kind of thing he was accused of in the Me Too movement was he was hitting on younger coworkers when they were drunk at parties. He'd hit on them, he wouldn't, force himself on them. He maybe asked a couple too many times. I don't know. Uh, but the idea was more not that he did anything inappropriate in the interaction. It was just that his interaction with her was inappropriate in and of itself. An older, more accomplished employee should never uh, you know, date or approach in that manner a younger employee with less experience. Because that might make the younger employee feel as if that person is threatening their livelihood in the future that's but below that tier below the glenn thrush tier is the monica lewinsky tier she didn't feel pressured into it she was excited to be part of it she was excited by it she bragged to others about it famously in audio tapes and she now claims that you know she couldn't see that clinton was using the power dynamic to manipulate her and therefore she isn't fully responsible for her decision i guess I don't know how he's supposed to read her mind. Um, And the truth is, though, a 23-year-old woman has to be able to make her own choices about her own sex life. I thought the left was pro-choice. Wasn't that a thing at the time? If you want to try to stop this behavior, we can make a new rule that says you can't hook up with anyone unless they make within $50,000 of you. Is that a rule that you want? If you think that rule sounds ridiculous then what she's claiming is ridiculous. Are we supposed to have only people who are assistant managers can only date other assistant managers? You want that rule? And we can all say, I mean, look, Clinton did a million bad things here and including real crimes, allegedly. And he was married. He had a loyalty to somebody else. That's all on him. But for her to act as if she's a victim in the Me Too movement, she could be a supporter of the Me Too movement. She can wave the flags. She can go to the parades. But is she a victim of the Me Too movement? Not every office hookup story is a Me Too moment. Sometimes there's just a boring old affair, and that's it. Outside of the presidency being involved and in legal testimony coming into play, that's all this was. I I, I have a sense of you know, there's a soft spot soft spot in my heart here for Monica Lewinsky, and then I think she went through a real. She went to real hell and probably paid a larger price uh, reputationally for her mistake than it was proportional. And Bill Clinton, you know, really didn't pay much of anything until very recently. But that doesn't make her a victim. At least of me too. It might make her a victim of, you know, John Ronson, his book, Uh, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. I think she's a victim maybe of that. But this is a different thing and we shouldn't confuse them. You know, the power structure is one thing, but personal responsibility is another. And if we're deleting, we're already giving people access to their parents' insurance until 26 years old. At some point, people need to turn into adults that make decisions on their own. 23 years old, you're working at the White House. That seems to be enough time. We all take responsibility for our own actions. And just because there's a new movement of real victims who have gone through much worse things than an office affair does not mean that we should include Monica Lewinsky in the middle of it. Alright, eight seven two seven beck is the phone number. Is cybercrime simply in someone's genes? The genealogy and DNA testing site MyHeritage has announced a data breach exposing email addresses and encrypted passwords uh, for more than 92 million users. And when you're talking about DNA and that being hacked, man, that makes, that's got to make you nervous. Breach involves users who sign up for the service through October 26, 2017, the date of the breach. With your personal info from a data breach, criminals can open accounts, file tax returns, buy property, and more. And if it's a DNA site, they can clone you. That's real. Watch Jurassic World. There's so many threats in today's connected world, and it takes just one weak link for criminals to get in. Good thing new LifeLock Identity Theft Protection adds the power of Norton security to help protect against threats to your identity and your devices that you can't easily see or fix on your own. No one can stop every cyber threat, prevent all identity theft, or monitor transactions at all businesses. But new LifeLock with Norton security can help uncover threats that you might otherwise miss. Go to LifeLock.com or call 1-800-LIFELOCK and use promo code BECK for an extra 10% off your first year. That's promo code BECK for an extra 10% off. Glenn Beck. Let's go to Catherine in Utah. Uh, Welcome to the Glenn Beck program uh, with Stu. What's up, Catherine? Good morning, Stu, Steve. Good
4: morning. Hey. It was so nice meeting you and Glenn on uh, Friday night. It was a really nice time, and uh, the film, watching the film was great.
1: Thank you so much for coming to that. I mean, that was a, the museum was a huge success, sold out for the whole weekend. Uh, you know, if you didn't get any of the behind-the-scenes stuff if you weren't able to make it here to Texas, it's worth going back and looking at it because some of the stuff that was here was incredible.
4: It was, yeah. Yeah. We, I wish we could come back, you know, for more time because it was kind of late night when we went to the museum, but it was uh, just fascinating.
1: And you had a thought about Monica Lewinsky as well?
4: Yes, yes. Um, you know, I was in the Navy, and uh, there was a you know, senior chief that changed my career for for, for horrible. Um, because when you went to this place, he said, you can play Big Daddy with me or not. Yes. I chose not. And he gave me the worst evaluations. And my career, you know, if you don't have the top evaluations, of course, you don't get advanced and stuff. And here's the leader of the free world. Um, yeah, she, she didn't choose well, but I can understand... Mm-hmm. You know that power and things like that, and he could have ruined her life if you know she, you know, look at what happened to the other women that tried to deny him. Sure, so I mean that's not necessarily a little, bit, her, a little bit of me too,
1: right? And I understand that. I mean, I, look, it was not a good situation. And thanks for the call, Catherine. I don't think that's her claim, though. Her claim is not that she felt pressured into doing this unwillingly. Her claim was, she, you know, at the time she really liked it and then later on in life realized that she probably shouldn't have been won over and he should have realized she had too, he had too much power. It's just, that's retroactive justice to me. Glenn Beck. It's Stu in for Glenn Beck today. Uh, and as you may know, Glenn told me everything I, he taught me everything I know about radio. And so tomorrow, he's going to come back and teach me this lesson he's taught me many times, which is when you start an hour, you're supposed to start with the most important information, a very important story. You want to, you want to lead the hour with something that's going to grab people because it's vital to their day. Let me attempt the opposite here. Let me instead give you a very unimportant story. A story with absolutely no significance to your life at all. No relevance whatsoever. But it makes an important point about the media. Goes back to a a boy named Jacob. Jacob had a big day. He was graduating with a 4.89 GPA. His mom wanted a cake to celebrate the, the graduation. And she goes online to order a cake at Publix. Now Publix is a grocery store in the south if you don't know what that is. So, she wants the cake to say summa cum laude. Okay? Seems like an easy request. Congratulations to the kid. Summa cum laude. She types it in, and the middle word becomes banned by the automated system and leaves three dashes. Okay? Now, you can... Look, this is a completely understandable policy that Publix would have. A grocery store... Does not want that particular word to be on a cake in 99.9% of all circumstances. It's going to be a prank. It's going to be something vulgar. It's not an appetizing word to put on a cake. It's just you don't want anything. You don't want anything going with that. But there's a special notes section here where Mom explains what summa cum laude is. Now, that seems like that should be enough. She put some time in. She bought a cake. She wants to celebrate summa cum laude. She puts the information in, she puts the note in explaining what it is, should be enough for the mom, right? And that's where our story is it gets controversial, because you think, of course, if I think, if there's a real worry about the situation, I would check the cake, but the mom was busy and she sent someone else to get it. You'd also think if you had a big worry about this particular moment coming out the right way, you'd check the cake before the party. But no, mom instead, to get she gathers everyone around the closed box that has not been opened and apparently unveils to the masses this cake. And it supposedly says for the first time, summa blank, 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 laude. And this is the thrust of the story. You're supposed to be outraged at Publix because they screwed up this poor kid's graduation. This big, evil stuff. Stupid corporation senselessly prude, ruining this kid's day. That's what you're supposed to believe. But this is the type of story that should not be a story. It should never, ever be written, especially by the Washington Post. We all know that this is just a quirk, right? It's not the policy of the chain of supermarkets. To avoid Latin phrases that praise academic achievement. That's not what they're going for. We're just supposed to be outraged about it anyway. This is what Glenn is always talking about. Addiction to outrage. This is what it is. This is an even more pathetic version of the story where someone eats at a restaurant and checks their receipt. And like the name for the customer says like fat slob. And of course that's a story that gets passed around the internet for a few days and everyone's outraged. And yes, I suppose if a chain of restaurants decided to insult all of its fat customers the same way, that would be a story. But here's the thing we need to realize. We all have too many important things to deal with in life. If one franchise has one employee who's a jerk, that is not a news story. That's just every company in America throughout all history. There are a-holes everywhere. It's 2018. You live in a time where Twitter exists. You should know that around every freaking corner is some jerk. But this isn't a chain's official policy. This isn't even an employee who is a jerk. The villain in this story, I guess, is probably some $10 an hour worker who just didn't get it. You know what? Hate to say it. Maybe they didn't win their local summa cum laude award at their school. Sue them. So now you've taken the voice of the Washington Post And made a villain over some hourly employee who probably either made a mistake, or was too distracted to notice, or thought there was a policy that existed for a reason they didn't understand, and they wrote a word in icing that you didn't like, or didn't write a word that you wanted on the cake. Congrats, Washington Post. You really torched the life of that icing writer. What an incredible achievement. By the way, we should point out, we are in a country where half the residents want to force people to write certain things in icing. I'm curious to get their take on that, but that's a totally different story. The story gets even more completely nonsensical. The mom, the mom claims in the story that her son was, quote, absolutely humiliated, end quote, by the missing word on the cake. Again, we did this before with the uh, immigration story. At times, you look at a story... And you need to analyze it. You need to say, hey, this looks like, let me see the background of this. Let me dig into the scientific study behind this. Let me read the supporting documentation. And there's other times you just look at a story and you say, that's got to be untrue. It's just got to be untrue. Is there any way a high school senior was humiliated by the lack of an R-rated word? Is that possible? I, I was a high school senior at one point, and I don't think that would have happened with anyone that I knew though they're different folks, different strokes. I understand that. But if the, if it is true that a high school senior is being quote, absolutely humiliated by the lack of a word being on their cake, we have a much larger problem than cake lettering. But of course we all know this isn't true. First of all, later in the story, they disclose that the kid Jacob is now laughing about the situation. So I mean, how much humiliation was there? Did he have a moment where maybe his cheeks turned pink? Maybe. Secondly, if your son was absolutely humiliated, you don't go on Facebook and write about it. That makes it worse. We all just want to chase the clicks and the likes and the friends, but that makes it worse if your kid actually is absolutely humiliated. Why would you do that? And beyond that, if the outrage of the story is that a kid was absolutely humiliated, why would you want a story in the Washington Post about it? And by the way, Publix, the grocery store, seemingly did everything else completely right. The family says the cake was delicious. The family says it. They offered to make the cake again the right way. They refunded the $70 for the cake, and they gave them the store gift card. Think about this story. An employee of one South Carolina grocery store made a tiny mistake, which the store went above and beyond to correct. And they get lit up by the Washington Post like they were holding auditions for ISIS. This is the addiction to outrage. This is it. It's everyone wanting to wake up in the morning, search the internet, and find meaning in their life. Everyone needs to jump On Facebook and find a story that makes them feel something. Just because something happens doesn't make it news. The world sucks enough as it is. There's no reason to work so hard to make everyone else feel like it's worse. Uh, I mean it's a cake and you missed a few letters. How does the Washington Post get a hold of that story? It's incredible. That's where we are, though. Don't worry, about, don't worry about important things. Let's talk about cakes. It is constant cake talk in this country right now, which I will say, cake is delicious. That's a positive. If you're looking to buy or sell a home, uh, you probably are going through a process that's a little different than where you go to other places because you know, you don't really have the opportunity to choose who your salesman is when you go buy a car. You walk into the car dealership, first person that kind of walks up to you, that's your person. And you deal with them, whether you like them or not. Same thing goes with most of the transactions. You know, you go in to buy a cake. And you want them to put a nasty word in the middle of your cake. A word that scares people. And they won't do it for you. Can you find another cake maker? I don't think so. You have a right to have that cake made with those letters at that place. But I digress. When you have a real estate agent, you actually do get to go through that process. You can choose whoever you want, yet most of us just kind of pick anybody, right? You pick the person you go to the gym with, the person you bumped into in the cake line, person who is a relative of a relative of a relative's friend. And you don't really go through and do research. This is the most important transaction you will ever do in your entire life. That's why Glenn created uh, realestateagentsitrust.com. Real agents, I is a great place to go because they do all the work for you. <laughs> that's what I love about America and capitalism. I want all the work done for me. I want the screening done. I want, I want, I want these people to be, you know, their advertising plans, uh, their results that they've had, the fact that they're able to get good reviews and people are able to, uh, say, Hey, this person kept me up to date in a time where I needed information. I want all of that. And I want someone who shares my values. There's 1,200 agents on realestateagentsitrust.com, and these are people who listen to this show, that share your values, that don't mind doing business uh, by a handshake, that understand the principles of doing business the right way. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and get your real estate agent if you want to sell your house fast and for the most money. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. It's Stu and for Glenn, who is too emotionally distraught to do the show today. Um, he's very worried about uh, kids at concentration camps that's the story of the day kids are in concentration camps all over America and we need to learn about that now of course when you get to pay you know paragraph 20 or so they'll start telling you about how this has been happening uh, for a very long time the rate has increased dramatically we went over this in hour one if you want to listen to the podcast please do that we'll uh, tweet it out from at world of stew on Twitter uh, it's a great follow uh, say all the kids today especially uh, if you're addicted to your phone like I am Great place to go at World of Stew. Um, But we'll get the the clips out there today from the show. You can watch that and kind of get the background of of the actual policy. One thing I was interested in when we're talking about concentration camps for uh, immigrants separated from their families, ripped. It's never separated. It's ripped from the arms, the loving arms of their parents. They want to maximize emotion as much as possible. They go through one of these uh, facilities that was visited by CNN. Now, to CNN's credit, they put this in the sixth paragraph, not the 20th. Washington Post went 20th, but they went with the sixth paragraph. And they talk about how and there's already 11,351 children in more than 100 shelters across 17 states, which is up uh, some, uh, and it's certainly increasing in rate, but this has been happening for a long time. It's part of what happens when someone is prosecuted. You don't drag the kid to jail, too. And that's just not the way it works. So, um, they're talking about these p- particular facilities, and the facilities are kind of presented as concentration camps. I mean Laura Bush today uh, compared them to the internment camps for the Japanese um, and one of them that s- that CNN was able to visit is at a an old Walmart. So they took an old Walmart that had closed down, cleared the thing out. And they made it into, there's bedrooms, uh, there are beds, four kids. It was designed to have four kids per bedroom. Now they're putting five beds in there. And that's one of the things they talk about as being a problem. There's no roof for the bedroom. Um, So you, you know, but you're in a giant warehouse. So you're looking up to the ceiling of of a Walmart, right? But, you know, the... They show they, a lot of pictures, and we'll have a lot of these on TV today. I'm doing the TV show for Glenn as well today, and they'll be. we'll show you footage of it. We'll show you the pictures of what these things look like. We'll show you if they look like concentration camps or not. You have to make the call on that one. I don't know that I can do it for you, but you can see them side by side, and you tell me which one is which. The massive shelter retains a warehouse vibe, according to CNN. Noisely, noisy, but highly organized. Scores of staffers leading kids to various activities. In recreation rooms... Again, recreation rooms not all that common in concentration camps some boys watched a soccer match on TV now I know there was a lot of flat screen soccer watching um, in all of the death camps but I'm pretty sure this is a little bit different some took part in a Tai Chi class and others played pool or foosball in one case with a cue ball now, I love that, because why would you point out the details of the ball? It's like you're saying, you know what? They didn't even have the decency to get them an actual foosball. They had to use a cue ball from their pool table. Do you believe what these kids are going through? Now, look, these are, can be really bad situations, but what they're trying to do here to make you believe it's concentration camp life is ridiculous. Goes on to say they have a variety of schedule uh, activities to keep them busy. Boys spend most or all their time indoors at the former superstore, aside from one hour a day outside for P.E. and another hour of free time that they can spend on the basketball courts or soccer fields adjacent to the shelter building. So these kids are inside for all but two hours a day. Two hours a day outside. Let me tell you something. If you've ever watched an NFL game, he probably did it indoors, by the way. But if you ever watch an NFL game, you almost definitely, because they run incessantly, have seen a commercial for a program entitled Play 60. It is a multi-million dollar ad campaign designed to encourage children to go outside for one hour a day and play. They're going outside for two hours a day. I, it would be a dream if I could get my kids to go outside and play for two hours a day under uninterrupted. But it would, it, it, we're not in the movie Sandlot. This is 2018. Kids want the, their iPad taped to their face. They don't want to go outside. Two hours a day outside is an insane achievement. I mean, really, we're spending millions of dollars to encourage kids to go out and do something for one hour. Yet this is what we complain about. I mean, look, there are serious circumstances in some of these situations, but the media is just way over the top with it. Uh, Also, I would say, uh, while we're on sports, did you see Phil Mickelson this weekend? Phil Mickelson, the golfer, of course, uh, 13th tee. He was having a terrible hole. And he did what, you know, all of us have done a thousand times, if you've ever played golf or even mini golf which is you miss the putt, you get mad at yourself, and you go hit the ball while it's still moving. Now, this is a, th- this is a little rare. It's a tad rare when it comes to professional golfers, and he got a two-stroke penalty, It wound up with a 10 on the hole. Needless to say, he did not win the tournament. But there was a big controversy about this. I mean, uh, you know, he's just dis- disrespecting the sport. Here's a guy who's supposed to hold up these high values for competition, and he goes and hits a moving ball. He puts a ball while it's in motion. And then he leaves the green with a smug smile on his face. It was a big story, and it's gonna dominate sports media all day today. What's what's funny about it is you have to take you have to take your problems and and look at them in context, don't you? Every once in a while, we do this. Like, you know what? Wow, we've almost we've taken the poverty down by two thirds globally, and we all think the world sucks. I even said it last break: the world sucks. I mean, in reality, it's gotten a lot better. There are moments of it that really are terrible, but in in a general sense, things are good. They're getting better. Things are improving in dramatic ways. So when you're golf and you have a problem like Phil Mickelson hitting a moving ball, you get to sit back and you say, let's compare our problems to let's say. The, NFL. the NFL's problem is a little different. Kellen Winslow Jr. Was one of the highest paid tight ends in the league. Son of former San Diego Charger great Kellen Winslow Sr. Kellen has had a little bit of legal trouble uh, this weekend. <sighs> he has been uh, charged uh, with Kidnapping. And uh, a sexual assault and rape. He allegedly found his victims as they hitchhiked in two of the cases. He is charged with attacking a woman, age 54, telling her that he would murder her and then assaulting her. Another victim raped, age 59. In a third incident, Winslow is accused of exposing himself to a 55-year-old woman gardening in her front yard. It's not, I mean, you want to go outside and have a nice day gardening? Doesn't turn out that well. He was also charged with burglary with intent to rape a 71-year-old woman. And to top that one off, he was charged with burglary and intent to rape, as he broke into a trailer park, and attempted to rape an 86-year-old woman. He last played uh, with the Jets in 2013. Now, if you think you'd rather have golf's problems than the NFL's problems, you're—you might be right on that. NFL, of course. Still fantastically uh, fantastic league that I love. A lot of people don't like it in the audience. I understand that. But you know what? Call me back when the Eagles haven't won the Super Bowl, okay? But look at this. Not only do you have this story where a former star has raped five women or attempted to rape five women all the way up to age 86, you also have the situation that it looks like his main defense is likely to be CTE, which he received while playing football. So his, the defense for his multiple rapes will likely be, the NFL did it to me. That's not going to be pretty. We have Jeffy coming up. It's Stu in for Glenn Beck today. Um, largely, I believe, because he knew Pat was out um, and thought potentially his replacement might come in named Jeff Fisher. Jeffy, welcome to the program. Hey, yeah. Stu. How are you doing? If you know the show, of course, Jeffy uh, comes I'm, in uh, occasionally, uh, but also Pat's in every day. And so today, Jeffy will be filling in on Pat Unleashed. We're all very excited to uh, hear.
0: I'm completely excited to this Something else. And... Uh, I'm fortunate, though. I didn't come down with museum disease. No, he didn't. Uh, (laughs) That I thought uh, Glenn had, and I talked to him frequently yesterday. We
1: were both at the museum a lot yesterday. We did not come down with museum disease. No, we did not. I will say Glenn
0: is... He may have showed a few more people around.
1: (laughs) He's legendary at these museums, man. Stop. I swear all he really wants to do in life is be a museum guy. (laughs) If he could do that, he would be very happy. Just going around and telling the same stories about history. That would be his job. Absolutely. Occasionally mention him. You know you have a radio show and a television show in which you could also be telling stories about history, but he likes to do it in museum form to like 10 people at a time. I've
0: got to look at the piece. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, So tonight I will be doing the TV show as well. We're going to be talking about the immigration thing going a little bit deeper uh, into the children who've been ripped out of their hands.
0: Horrific Mm -hmm. uh, policy brought on by this (laughs) administration.
1: We'll be talking about that and we will be talking uh, about the Pope's comment uh with the uh abortion situation talking about eugenics there's a lot of stuff about the at the museum about the eugenics movement and and the things that it led to uh the pope kind of called out abortion as as pretty much eugenics which
0: he should right i know there were a lot there was a lot of talk over the years that uh the the last couple years since this uh pope has been pope uh that uh they were worried that he might not Right,
1: yeah. I mean, and, uh, I, he oops. seems incredibly Catholic on this
0: particular yes, issue, he does. which is Which is wonderful. Which and is good. And
1: you would you would be interested in this because you ran for Pope
0: at I one point. I did run for Pope at huh. one time. You did yeah. not win. I didn't win. The smoke did not go up for me. No, it did not. It very too. disappointing. Very sad. Uh, so uh, what do you have for us today? Well, first, I want to complain a little bit uh, about this network. Uh, I have been um, called and titled a lot of things on this network, Stu. Many uh, by you. There uh, are many welcome. titles uh, <laughs> that I have acquired over the years because of you. Mm-hmm. I, uh, rape expert comes to mind. <laughs> that is Just something that if you Google
1: head. Jeffy and you find him and you, and you can separate him from the former NFL coach <laughs> of the same name, one of the first things you will you will see as is. In quotes in an article about Jeffy is a a purported rape expert, Jeff Fisher, Jeff Fisher, which is not something you necessarily (laughs) want on your business card, I will say. I don't have it on my business card.
0: Okay, good. But I listened to the first hour of this broadcast this morning and I found out that I have never been called pimp of evil. (laughs) really i i cannot believe that that is a phrase passed along in america that i have not been called
1: do we have that clip we should go back to that because the clip of um, an a.m joy reed joy reed who by the way still maintains her employment after all of the things that have gone on here's a clip from this weekend's a.m joy
2: for the republican party that have gone along like pimps of evil (laughs) with this president
1: of so evil. That's right. You have never been called so that. And that, I will apologize, was an oversight on our part. Because you absolutely <laughs> you.
0: fit that description. Thank you. I also, uh, you know, well, I think that we are doomed. You know, we talked, we talked a little bit about the Netflix uh, five-second rule now. Yes, you can't uh, look at can't, someone. You can't look at someone for longer than five seconds, or they can just shout. Uh, even if, if it's under five seconds, right? If they could just shout at you and say, stop looking, or whatever the quote was, stop it stop what you're doing it's like <laughs> just <laughs> unbelievable which you know i mean they could have done that before they could have done it before they didn't need why did they need the netflix was, rule for that
1: as far as i know there was never a rule against people saying stop what you're doing right mm-hmm. uh,
0: no you can always say stop no it's right. always your choice of course and that was the whole deal on uh on friday when uh chloe dykstra the uh, ex-girlfriend of Chris Hardwick from uh, AMC. Uh, those of you that, you know, know Chris from Talking Walking Dead and uh, he's done Talking Breaking Bad and he's yeah, got yeah. a big deal with mm-hmm. AMC mm-hmm. and he started out as a big podcast uh, provider with uh, at Nerdist, sold that for a bunch of money, has a new deal with AMC. Mm-hmm. So his old girlfriend writes a big medium piece uh, on on the website Medium, it's about, I don't know, 10 pages if you print it. It says on there, Medium usually gives you a time, and it says it's about a 10-minute read. Okay, yeah. And you go into it. And she is uh, unloading on her unnamed ex-boyfriend talking about what a horrific person he was, this long-term abuse and career blacklisting. Now, she never names Chris Hardwick. The world knows that it's Chris Hardwick.
1: She describes him pretty closely. Right, and, It would be yes.
0: unmistakable.
1: Because I will say, when I saw... Uh, a headline that said, uh, you know, person who does after break, uh Walking Dead show accused of uh, crimes. I definitely thought of you first. Oh. Because uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you do an actual no, to, Walking to Dead post show. We do want
0: to downplay that because I'm you know, I'm open for the gig.
1: Yeah. Because <laughs> he, he doesn't have it anymore, right?
0: <laughs> well, they, they've postponed it. Ah, uh, okay. They had a new deal. Right. Okay. So she says uh in in the medium post one of the things that she says is that uh uh he pressured me into sex against my will i did go along with it out of fear of losing him i mean that's a relationship
1: (laughs) 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 right perhaps in your world that's a relationship certainly not a healthy relationship uh, no but i don't you're right though i mean if she say like you know, there are manipulation tactics that are obviously horrible to use that aren't necessarily yes. criminal. Right. I guess as you're correct. Um, yes. And here this situation seems like he may have been a because I mean, she, he was saying stuff like she would say she didn't want to hook up with him. And then he would respond with, well, my last relationship broke up at, due to lack of sex. Right. And then she would hook up with him.
0: Right. And now, it,
1: that's completely manipulative. Right. If someone says they don't want to have sex with you, probably the right thing to do is I don't know. You know, go to McDonald's and have a burger
0: or go do something else. As you can tell, I've been to McDonald's a lot. That's <laughs> <laughs> very true. I'm just, just using that example. I don't know where that came from.
1: But, but, but I mean, if you, that's a terrible tactic and a horrible thing to do to someone, especially that's someone that you care about, right? You shouldn't try to manipulate them into doing something they don't want to do. Right. However, I don't know that that's
0: illegal. Okay. Right. So immediately, his uh, Nerdist podcast, who he hasn't had anything to do with in a couple of years because he sold it, but their website has him as the founder, and you know he's part of the big deal. And mm-hmm. they immediately come out and say they're scrubbing everything with his name on it wow. off of the site, off of the mention, off of there, all of it gone. And, uh, and again, not
1: only has has the the accusations they haven't been proven he hasn't actually been accused right like it's they haven't even named him as a person who's done these things we just all are doing our own detective work correct
0: now he uh uh, he has responded denying it and saying that the relationship was just a bad relationship Mm -hmm. they argued uh he said that he broke up with her because she cheated Mm-hmm. on him and didn't want to be with someone who was unfaithful and he has since been married, uh, fallen in love and gotten married again mm-hmm. uh, and so uh, then after after a day AMC comes out and you said that they had cancelled uh, Talking Dead, no, he had a new show uh, between seasons uh, Dead is between seasons now uh, in, in mid-season break and so they uh, they put a new show together with AMC called Talking with Chris Hardwick he okay. was just gonna do interviews and stuff. That was supposed to start this weekend. They said, No, we're not gonna start it this weekend. Uh, we're not we're not canceling it. We're not distancing ourselves from Chris, but until we get it all worked out, we just take a break. And then he was supposed to be a big deal at the San Diego Comic Con. He was gonna host it and do all that. That's been he's not doing that now either. They pulled him from that.
1: It's really interesting because, you know, look, there are real accusations of the stuff that need to be taken seriously. It's just we don't have seemingly any standards on trying to decipher what is just an accusation and what is real. If you remember our uh, former illustrious president, Mr. Barack Obama, President Barack Obama, uh, his path to the presidency was paved through uh, accusations in a divorce hearing uh, from his opponent, who was very competitive with him in the Illinois Senate at the time um and jack ryan right wasn't it jack ryan uh, okay and if you know. remember the story you know his he, he had was married to a celebrity uh the they unearthed in a very strange ruling unearthed the previously sealed accusations and it's a divorce hearing and they're all saying really crazy things about each other Always. and you don't know what's true there was never any uh determination as to what was true and what wasn't it was just a bunch of accusations it was a bad relationship a breakup a divorce really bad things said about each other, made him drop out of the race. And Barack Obama sailed to that Senate seat and eventually
0: to the presidency. Well, there's no mention in this so far. Uh, Some people have come out uh, saying that uh, I know it to be true. Uh, The blacklisting, she talked about being blacklisted by Chris and Mm -hmm. him making calls saying, don't let her work there, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, so far, there's there's no one that says maybe she's the crazy one. I mean, maybe she is, because he's said he's denied it and said that she cheated on him. But during the whole statement of his statement that he wrote, I love the one uh, the inside the report. But the deadline report says, uh, in the carefully crafted response. Hmm. from chris hardwick so he's already guilty well it was he, a carefully crafted careful? response you mean like yeah. the 10 pages <laughs> on the medium report that was carefully crafted without his name which i believe if i can remember
1: reading it correctly she said she rewrote 17 times <laughs> right trying to tell the story now look if she was the victim of something terrible and, and you know it, it doesn't look good for him right now i mean but you know like i he absolutely like he should be shunned i mean you know you should get blacklisting is bad unless it's for someone who deserves it Right, and then, like in this situation, he may very well deserve a blacklist. Um, I don't know him very well, but uh, you know these accusations are serious, and they should be taken
0: seriously. Okay, so so now we've gone past uh, criminal activity, right? We've gone, we've we're, we've bypassed. Uh, you have to do like if Chris. he has does done not accuse criminal, him of anything criminal. No, if if Chris has done something criminal, he absolutely should be fried. Uh, you know, just of course goodbye. Have a nice day. But right now, as it stands. There's no criminal activity. There's just being a bad guy.
1: Yeah, and that's, the, I think, the danger of lumping all these things together. You know, I no, talked about this earlier on the show with Monica Lewinsky. And that Monica Lewinsky, I think she was a victim of, the, of an internet shaming phenomenon that had no just begun.
0: question about it. She was
1: the victim of a horrible treatment by the Clintons after the affair. But the affair itself, she is not a Me Too she victim. The, she made the choice. She is a 23-year-old woman who decided to start hooking up with an older man who was married and
0: that is hoping th- to get something out of it for herself i mean i, I kind of think that you maybe. know i mean maybe could could have been i mean I she may they, have loved him to well, death they're turning it around the other yeah. way that bill was this horrible power monger guy that was just using this young girl and clearly he was absolutely I mean, that's definitely true absolutely but that i mean that again to your point that used to just be an office affair
1: right right and there, there wasn't an accusation, at least at the time, that Bill Clinton was not going to let her rise to the heights of political stardom because of this affair. It wasn't no. a workplace pressure incident. It was something she willingly went into and was excited about, bragged about to her friends. In recorded phone calls?
0: And now we look back at all the pictures at different big events. She was there. She was there. Smiling. There was she, no I mean, she was into
1: it, right? It, that's what it was.
0: And that's part of the Chloe Dykstra with Hardwick. She claimed that, you know, he would say that she couldn't go to these events, that she had to wait for him in the hotel room. And that. Uh, yeah. Was, she, some of it is pretty psychotic. It is. A, if it's true, mm-hmm. and B, she made the choice. She even says in the in the yeah, media she, article, yeah. you know, "I look, I chose to do it." it in was, the
1: end, it was her choice. Is what she concludes, right. which is again that does not make him a good guy. But again, when it comes to legality, one other one other thing I want to bring up to you: she makes a point of not naming him. Goes to great lengths to not name yeah. him, but describe him I mean, in such the, detail, the it's unmistakable it who too. it is. Right. I'm very conflicted about that because. Look, if you're going to come out and make an accusation, what this does is protect her legally because she hasn't made the the actual accusation publicly. She can say whatever she wants about him because she's never actually said who it is. And I I feel like, I don't know. I mean, if you're going to come out and, and say these things about someone, you know people, she knew right away who people were going to figure out oh. who it was. That was part of the 17 rewrites, I believe. You know, that's the part of the design. the carefully
0: crafted medium poster? Yeah,
1: so I mean, huh. I think... If you're going to come out and accuse someone, you know, you have to deal with the repercussions of that legally if you've accused them falsely. That's
0: strange. I, I thought about it. I thought about it, what if uh, if Hardwick would have said I, I, sh- I don't. <laughs> Just the not me the,
1: the shaggy defense what you wasn't me. are talking about, <laughs> what are <you> talking <laughs> <Just> about? <laughs> she didn't name anybody.
0: <laughs> right. We got to take a
1: break. <laughs> Jeffy, you're hosting uh, Pat Gray Unleashed today. Coming up. All right. Uh, Radio uh,
0: Network and the Blaze Television Network. Yeah, watch it, listen, do it. At Jeffy MRA.
1: Yes, please uh, you know, go there and go on Jeffy's away Twitter. The show. And uh, that's going to be a scary place to be, but uh, hopefully you can survive it. Liberty Safe, great company. They make great safes. They make it super easy to own one of their safes. And now at Liberty Safe, you can, uh, at libertysafe.com, you can buy a Liberty Safe at a great price and receive 12 months of interest-free payments with zero down and 0% APR. Hard to beat zero on both of those numbers. They also uh, offer Liberty Safe for as low as $20 a month. Glenn has been working with Liberty Safe for over eight years. I have a Liberty Safe in my home. Jeffy has a Liberty Safe in his home. I love that thing. It is. It's awesome because it's like the best piece of furniture in your house. I mean, it is like the most attractive thing. I don't mean just in your house, Jeffy, although it's definitely true in your house. Uh, But it's true in pretty much everybody's house. It's a great, it's just a beautiful piece. You get peace of mind, you get a lifetime warranty, in-home delivery service, and it's all unmatched in the industry. Why do you buy Liberty Safe? Well, when you do it, you got to buy something that's bigger because a lot of people complain they didn't get one as big as they wanted. Uh, they have 12 month interest repayments for as low as 20 bucks a month with approved credit. Act now. Protect what you value most. Your valuables are always protected with a Liberty Safe. Go to libertysafe.com now, the home of the best built safes on the planet. Go there now, libertysafe.com. Glenn should be back tomorrow dealing with his museum disease as he recovers from a very long weekend and a very cool weekend, uh, meeting lots of you uh, at the Mercury Museum which just incredible stuff. I mean, you know, we talked about the Declaration of Independence all last week. Uh, There was all the Lincoln stuff that was there. Lots of dark stuff from world history that uh, just creepy to even be around. It was really a great experience uh, overall, despite those things. (laughs) Um, But it was interesting to see after being in that world where everyone is talking about, you know, real, the depths that humanity can drop to, when it's in its treating of other humans to come back and hear everyone on msnbc talking about how there's concentration camps all over america people that you know mocked fema camps correctly so are now saying there's basically immigration concentration camps all around the country for these children uh, i found it interesting to see how that has been displayed and i happen to be on the same page see one uh, story about how horrible parents being ripped apart from their children in concentration camps same page The big picture. Women around the world are fighting for abortion rights. We'll have more on that coming up. And also, Jimmy Kimmel lost to Ted Cruz playing basketball. Which I just can't say enough today.
0: Glenn Beck. Mercury.